Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 311. Today's big Bible question is, what is the blessed hope? So happy Tuesday, everybody. Let's open up with a bit of very kind reader feedback. This is from Margaret in Portrush, Northern Ireland. She says, hi, Chase. Just want to thank you for all the work you've put into the Bible Reading Podcast. I've listened to every episode, wow, as part of my bedtime devotional, and it has been a great help to me and many others, I'm sure. Keep up the good work. Peace in Christ. Well, thank you for that. Margaret, that's so very kind. I hope you have a good night tonight as you get ready to go to bed. For those not familiar with Portrush, it is in the northern part of Northern Ireland, right up next to the Giant's Causeway, which you've got to see. It's amazing. And the home of the Royal Portrush Golf Course, which is one of the five or ten best and most beautiful golf courses in the entire world. I've actually, I've looked at some pictures of it, never been to Northern Ireland, but Looked at some pictures on Google Earth, and it looks so much like our Pebble Beach course, which is right next to the beach that my family and I go to here, I don't know, about 20, 25 minutes away from our house in Monterey County, California. It's kind of uncanny how similar they both look, both on the uh, edge of the ocean, both with just green cliffs and all sorts of things surrounding it. It looks a It looks like an amazing place to live, Margaret. I hope one day to go to the United Kingdom in Northern Ireland. It is definitely a bucket list site for me. And friends, if you want to write into us, and I sure would love to hear from you guys. It's always encouraging when I do. Just go to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. I don't think I have a contact form there. That's mostly to avoid spam because I already got plenty of email, but... If you want to email me, you can email me, chaseathompson at gmail.com. That's chaseathompson with an S, C-H-A-S-E, athompson at gmail.com. Or just go to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Leave a comment on any one of our posts, and I'd love to hear from you if you've got questions or comments or anything like that. Again, thank you, Margaret. Our Bible readings for the day focus in on Titus chapter 2, also include 2 Kings 16, Psalms 126, 127, and 128, and Hosea chapter 9. Now, today's show might be a little bit short because I'm getting a bit of a late start, but we have a great question to talk about. What is the blessed hope of the Christian life? Well, let's turn immediately to Charles Spurgeon to give us the answer. And then we can actually find Paul's description of that blessed hope in Titus chapter 2. Spurgeon says this, What is the blessed hope of the children of God? They are looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. As they look back by faith, they see their Lord upon the cross, and then they see him in the tomb, and then they behold him risen from the grave. The last glimpse they catch of him is as a cloud receives him out of their sight, He has gone into glory, but believers have not forgotten those angelic words to the disciples. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in the same manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So, we expect him to come, and when he comes, then is to be the time of our highest joy. Even though we are now called the sons of God, it does not yet appear what we will be. Our glory, our full bliss is as yet hidden from us. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, brothers, our hope is that when Christ shall come, we shall be perfected, that then we will be rid of every sin and will become holy, 
even as he is holy, pure, even as he is pure. Thank you, Spurgeon, for that. So let's read Titus chapter 2 together and see where Paul talks about it. Titus chapter 2, verse 1 in the English Standard Version. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and to so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that your opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So the blessed hope of all Christians is the glorious return of Jesus. This is when our faith becomes sight and the reality of what we have hoped for and yet not seen with our own eyes becomes concrete. When Hebrews 11.1, which says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, when that becomes utterly fulfilled. It is also what I believe Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where he says, Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then, at the return of Jesus, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will fully know as I am fully known. It is the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus in John 14, 3, where he says, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And it's also the promise of the very, very last verse in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, which says, He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. George Eldon Ladd, in his book, on this hope, and it's actually called The Blessed Hope, gives us a wonderful description of the return of Jesus and the blessed hope of every Christian in his introduction. And he says this, At the heart of biblical redemptive truth is the blessed hope of the personal glorious second advent, or coming, of Jesus Christ. Salvation has to do both with the redemption of men as individuals and as a society. Salvation of individual believers includes the redemption of the body, says Romans 8.23. We must not only be saved from the guilt of sin and delivered from the power of sin. Redemption is not completed until we are delivered from the very effects of sin in our mortal bodies. The biblical doctrine of the resurrection is a redemptive truth. It means the salvation of the body. 
This salvation will be realized only by the personal second coming of Christ. Redemption also includes society. God's redemptive purpose involves not only the salvation of individuals, but God has a purpose purpose and a goal for mankind as a society inhabiting the earth. The Bible teaches that throughout the entire course of this age, the power and reign of Satan manifests itself not only in the sinfulness and the physical sufferings and mortality of individuals, but also in the evils of corporate historical experience. Satan offered to our Lord authority over the nations, for it has been delivered unto me, and to whosoever I will, will I give it, says Luke 4, 6. While God is sovereign and Satan can do nothing apart from the will of God, there is truth in that declaration of the evil one. God has permitted Satan to exercise his power in human history. Our generation has witnessed diabolical evils which the preceding generations would have said were impossible for enlightened civilized men. Lad was alive during World War II. The demonic element in history is increasingly manifesting itself. God will not permit Satan to exercise his power in human history forever. Man will not destroy himself from the face of the earth, nor will this planet become a cold, lifeless star. The day is surely coming when the knowledge of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, when peace and righteousness shall prevail instead of war and evil. The day is surely coming when God will take the reins of government into his hands and the kingdom of God will come on earth and his will will be done even as it is in heaven. This glorious destiny for man will be achieved only by the personal, visible, glorious return of Christ. He is destined to be Lord of Lords and King of Kings. The second coming of Jesus Christ is an absolutely indispensable doctrine in the biblical teaching of redemption. Apart from his glorious return, God's work will forever be incomplete. At the center of redemption past is Christ on the cross At the center of redemption future is Christ returning in glory. And to that I say Maranatha. And by the way, that book by Ladd was written, that quote from that book by Ladd was written in 1956, just 10 or 11 years after the end of World War II. Well, friends, we have something amazing to wait for. The blessed hope of and the focus of our faith is that Christ has died for us on the cross, paying the price for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And that eternal life is going to go from faith now in what we don't see till it's going to go to sight when he returns. That is the blessed hope that we have. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. In the 17th year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, Ahaz, son of Jotham, became king of Judah. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like his ancestor David, but walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even sacrificed his son in the fire, imitating the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Then Aram's king Rezin and Israel's king Pekah, son of Remaliah, came to wage war against Jerusalem. They besieged Ahaz, but were not able to conquer him. At that time, Aram's king Rezin recovered Elath for Aram and expelled the Judahites from Elath. Then the Arameans came to Elath, and they still live there today. So Ahaz sent messengers to King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. March up and save me from the grasp of the king of Aram and of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. 
Ahaz also took the silver and gold found in the Lord's temple and the treasuries of the king's palace and sent them to the king of Assyria as a bribe. So the king of Assyria listened to him and marched up to Damascus and captured it. He deported its people to Kir, but put Rezin to death. King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. When he saw the altar that was in Damascus, King Ahaz sent a model of the altar and complete plans for its construction to the priest Uriah. Uriah built the altar according to all the instructions King Ahaz sent from Damascus. Therefore, by the time King Ahaz came back from Damascus, the priest Uriah had completed it. When the king came back from Damascus, he saw the altar, then he approached the altar and ascended it. He offered his burnt offering and his grain offering, poured out his drink offering, and splattered the blood of his fellowship offerings on the altar. He took the bronze altar that was before the Lord in front of the temple between his altar and the Lord's temple and put it on the north side of his altar. Then King Ahaz commanded the priest Uriah, Offer on the great altar the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, and the king's burnt offering, and his grain offering. Also offer the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering and their drink offerings. Splatter on the altar all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of sacrifice. The bronze, the bronze altar will be for me to seek guidance. The priest Uriah did everything King Ahaz commanded. Then King Ahaz cut off the frames of the water carts, and removed the bronze basin from each of them. He took the basin from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a stone pavement. To satisfy the king of Assyria, he removed from the Lord's temple the Sabbath canopy they had built in the palace, and he closed the outer entrance for the king. The rest of the events of Ahaz's reign, along with his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Ahaz rested with his ancestors and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David, and his son Hezekiah became king in his place. Psalm 126 verse 1 When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us. We were joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like watercourses in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Psalm 128 verse 1. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and will see your children's children. Peace be with Israel. Hosea chapter 9. Israel, do not rejoice jubilantly as the nations do, for you have acted promiscuously, leaving your God. You love the wages of a prostitute on every grain threshing floor. Threshing floor and wine vat will not sustain them, and the new wine will fail them. 
They will not stay in the land of the Lord. Instead, Ephraim will return to Egypt, and they will eat unclean food in Assyria. They will not pour out their wine offerings to the Lord, and their sacrifices will not please him. Their food will be like the bread of mourners of all. All who eat it will become defiled. For their bread will be for their appetites alone. It will not enter the house of the Lord. What will you do on a festival day, on the day of the Lord's feast? For even if they flee from devastation, Egypt will gather them, and Memphis will bury them. Thistles will take possession of their precious silver. Thorns will invade their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of retribution have come. Let Israel recognize it. The prophet is a fool, and the inspired man is insane because of the magnitude of your iniquity and hostility. Ephraim's watchman is with my God, yet the prophet encounters a bird trap on all his pathways. Hostility is in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. I discovered Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your ancestors like the first fruit of the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor, consecrated themselves to shame, and became abhorrent like the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they raise children, I will bereave them of each one. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. I have seen Ephraim like Tyre, planted in a meadow, so Ephraim will bring out his children to the executioner. Give them, Lord. What should you give? Give them a womb that miscarries and breasts that are dry. All their evil appears at Gilgal, for there I began to hate them. I will drive them from my house because of their evil, wicked actions. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is struck down. Their roots are withered. They cannot bear fruit. Even if they bear children, I will kill the precious offspring of their wombs. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They will become wanderers among the nations. Lord, have mercy. Well, dear friends, may the Lord's word build you up and bless you. May his hand be with you. May his spirit guide you. Good day and Godspeed.